Okay, so um, my name is Ailey and today the date is the 6th of July 2020 and this interview is taking place via phone call. Um, to get us started, um, I'd like to know a little bit about you and your background, so could you tell me your name um, and the year you were born, please? Um, my name's Jeanette Allen and I was born in 1961. And where did you grow up, Jeanette? Oh, a variety of places. I grew up um, in Glasgow initially, but most of my early childhood was in Pittenweem and Fife. And then we moved back to Glasgow. So around Glasgow, predominantly about seven years in Fife. Great. Um, and what is your professional or work background? I'm an occupational therapist. Okay. So can you tell me a wee bit about your first role within um, mental health and the arts? Um, I think, well, I worked at Crumpsall Hospital, North General, North Manchester General for my first job. That would be in 1983. And at that time, one of the senior OTs was running a drama group. And um, I was desperate to get part, part of it, to get into that, because I had done drama as a child. I'd done drama. I actually was going to go to drama school, got a place, and instead went and travelled America singing, and then never got back into the academy. Um, so I got into Shadow the Drama Group and then a variety of creative activities. Occupational therapists have always used creativity and arts as a, an activity to support people's well-being. And, and, well, at that time we didn't talk about recovery. Recovery was only talked about in my career from 2000. But certainly it was used as a, a means for people to express themselves. So we had art groups there in the mental health and I moved to mental health. I did quite a lot of art in the secure unit. I was the first occupational therapist to get into the secure unit there, the locked ward, which was a male ward and a female ward. Actually, I remember quite vividly doing some Christmas decorations and taking in a big roll of fur, red fur fabric to do something about Santa and some of the patients who often didn't get touch. I remember this Asian boy who had no language, no English language, and was quite disturbed, quite psychotic. In fact, he assaulted me twice, lying down on the fur fabric and putting his face on it and then taking his shoes off and walking in it. And that kind of made me aware at that point about the sensory deprivation of people within locked wards and security and the impacts that a lack of touch has on people. So there we did, we did art stuff, we did craft stuff. Um, there was an art room run by an art therapist that I used to go and hang out in sometimes. And there was a drama group, which I eventually took over doing. And that was in Manchester. Yeah. So when did you first... That was in Manchester, when, what 1983. Was your, what was your first role within Scotland then? Within Scotland, I became head occupational therapist at Dyke Bar in the year 2000. And we have always had creative activities that we did. We've always had probably two art groups a week. Sometimes we had tutors from Cardonald College came in and ran an art group, or sometimes the OTs did them. And I've used art within counselling and therapy. I remember working with a lady um, whose story is on record, actually, who had significant abuse from childhood. And when she was regressed and not able to talk as an adult, we would use art for her to draw. And she drew very childlike because she was kind of in her childish place. 
and it was very powerful to be able to see the images about things that she couldn't talk about. So creativity in the arts has been something that we've used. We've done exhibitions within Dyke Bar. We've used metaphors of recovery. And I suppose as it became more um, on trend, we were more intentional about using art in a, in a therapeutic, well, it's always been therapeutic, but in an intentional way with themes and, and projects. Um, we did a, a project actually in the second year of me being involved in the Mental Health Festival called Metaphors of Recovery and explored the images of the metaphors and then created as a group over a good number of weeks the metaphors like um, recovery is like climbing a mountain, the view from the top is different from the way up. And somebody else talked about recovery is like the seasons after the winter, there is the spring. Uh, so we explored a number of them. We made huge panels, which actually we toured to some conferences, and they're still up in Dyke Bar today. And then we made some recovery cards that had patients' artwork on it. And um, we had mugs with the same images, so we kind of did a, a few things with the same images. So that was probably the biggest, the first biggest art project that I did since I was involved in the Mental Health Arts Festival. For occupational therapists, it's... Traditionally, we've used activity. Um, probably the first big project I did using a social inclusion model, which I learned about in 2007, which was a Scottish government funded training course for occupational therapists about social inclusive practice. And that moving from red to amber, uh, my mental health patients in a mental health setting to is red, amber is mental health patients within uh, an, um, an ordinary setting and green is shoulder to shoulder with the general public and I really got that concept and tried to think about an activity to explore it to see how the model would work and that was when I contacted Dr Jane Bentley who wasn't Dr Jane at the time because we'd previously had a number of series of drumming workshops, djembe drummings like African drums Every year we would have Jane for six weeks do a project, do a little performance. We had a big recreation hall at Dyke Bar at that time, so there was often end of year performances, um, pantomimes, different things going on, concerts, people able to do um, shows together, patients and staff. And Jane would come and we would do a little project with drumming and I thought let's try drumming as a social inclusion model planned the project over 15 weeks, moving for every ward got an opportunity to get a taster drumming workshop. And at that time, I mean, there was probably 250, 300 patients in Dyke Bar. So there was a lot of wards, 14 maybe, 14 wards. So each ward got an opportunity to have a drumming workshop. We then did some drumming in the recreation hall and then we moved, so that was red. Then we moved to Amber, which was taking the, the drumming group into the community and we used the Harbour, not Harbour Arts, Paisley Arts Centre. We hired a room there and we started off with six people that really enjoyed it within the hospital, including the lady that I had done the abuse work with. She joined that group then as well. And was, and was, the, was, on, was the drumming in that clinical setting, how did you find sort of initiating that? Was there any... Um, resistance from maybe the staff that worked there? Did you have to do any convincing? Um, 
what was that like? Um, I don't, was there any convincing, well, some of them weren't so keen as the others, but as long as we got a room away from everybody or we brought the, the patients down into, we had a huge recreation hall, uh, as long as the patients came down there, then that was away from everywhere. Um, no, there wasn't, I mean, there wasn't significant resistance. It was an activity to amuse the patients, so the nursing staff were quite happy. And we'd had, we'd had a history of using Jean within the hospital already. And a lot of the wards were longer term wards. Mm -hmm. The acute wards were not quite so interested, but the longer term wards definitely were. The dementia wards were definitely interested. But there wasn't significant resistance because they were used to us doing activities. Yeah. So I guess there was no yeah, difference there between an arts-based activity that was more like crafts or something towards something that's musical, which I guess is more physical. No, no, because we had all sorts of, we had a programme across the week of activities that happened on the wards in the OT department and within the recreation hall with a variety of um, arts, crafts, um, music, listening to music. Sometimes we had guitar groups. So there's always been a kind of tradition of, of doing within OT, certainly within mental health. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned there that the, you'd started a group, so you had those six people who um, went off into, was that a community setting to then do drumming? Yes. And what happened after that? Yeah. So we, we did, so these six people kind of stayed with us. So Jane and I ran the group. I probably did the project management side and drummed as well. Jane facilitated and we learned a lot together about community drum circles and the kind of flossy of them. And I, I think the important thing is a sense of belonging. And then people learned about the group and added to it. So we went out to other groups that were like courses that were finishing and gave them a little taster a couple of times of a drumming at the end at their last session and recruited people that way. And then it became probably for about six months with six to eight people and then it began to grow and um, there was probably 15, 16 people for a good while. I funded it from inpatient monies for probably three years until I learned about how to get a group constituted. And then it took quite a lot of convincing to the members of the group because we've been used to traditionally doing two people and doing four people within mental health rather than helping them you know, historically, not so much now, um, to do for themselves. So to convince people to actually be a chairperson, a secretary and a treasurer took quite a lot of support. But we managed to get the committee set up. And I think we got seven and a half thousand from the, the lottery at that time. So the group were quite ecstatic about that. And Buddy Beat's now been going 12 years and last year got 30,000 pounds from the Alliance. And actually, Part of that was to set up some new groups and they've set up a new group with me in Adrossen where I now run the recovery college. So we've now got Drum for Your Life in Adrossen, which is about to get constituted. So it's um, been serendipity. It's kind of come around because the Buddy Beat have been independent from me for a long time. and I've not worked at Dyke Bar for two years, but they're completely independent and they're shoulder to shoulder with the general public now. Green long ago have won national awards. Or won the Scottish Award for Voluntary Arts 
which was nothing to do with mental health, which for me was a, a huge recognition that they stand alone as musicians and um, arts, voluntary arts within, data, you know, shoulder to shoulder with the general public. It wasn't about mental health or getting a, a whole class because you've got a mental health issue. So that was good. And they've won the, the Culture Award of Paisley, uh, Rembrandtshire, twice actually. And um, a variety of awards. So Buddy Beat's been a real success. And I use that model then. That social inclusion model has then been replicated in other in other places. Started a drama group and started, I think, two different art groups who have become constituted subsequently to that and a makers group that we don't think quite exists now, but the other two groups do. So that giving people the tools to enable them to be independent from services so that they can get support if necessary, but actually they don't need to be dependent was certainly a significant feature of my involvement in the arts. And then Buddy Beat was how I got involved in the Mental Health Festival because we'd been running a year or so when the festival in Glasgow had happened. And I contacted Lee Nifton and said, can my drumming group play in your festival? And he said, well, run your own festival, Jeanette. And I thought, how on earth do you do that? However, we, within several months, had, I think, 19 events happened or so the first year. And then I ran the Mental Health Arts Festival for, or I led it for 10 years with a lot of collaborations, a lot of involvement, some really interesting things we did. Like, so I get very interested in social engaged art. How can you take art out into the community and bring a message of well-being? And we have a big mural that we managed to get funded called And Breeze that one of our patients designed where we had an artist paint it and it's funded by Paisley Partnership or something like that. We've got poetry in train stations between Paisley and Port Glasgow. We've had art exhibitions on the platform of Paisley Gilmore Street. And we did a poetry trail a few years ago in Paisley that the council supported with us. So there was a virtual exhibition as well as within, you could actually see where it was located geographically. And we had, I think, 24 groups engaged with that. So we invited people to contribute to making a piece of poetry. We provided them with a canvas. Sarah Grant was the artist that was working with me, the, the canvas. And then people had a day and a railing in which they had to put that up. So that was really interesting to to do that and that has kind of progressed since then you know there's been lots of other projects that have progressed since we've done the stuff in the train station which was with them um, the first time we did a thing in the train station was the Gilmore Street sculptures which was an artist Mandy McIntosh that worked for me at the time instigated that and that's still on platform one so that concept of taking it out I like the idea of arts and mental health going to unexpected unexpected places to unsuspecting audiences would be my my little phrase and uh, we did a launch of the mental health festival in paisley art center actually in the mall with a stage in gina mckee and we were on six o'clock report in scotland that night so i love doing things that kind of gets attention and doing things rather than behind closed doors trying to get a an audience if you like that might not know what it's about and then stop and consider it. What's That's some, the kind of thing you're looking for, really. 
Ah, absolutely. Um, what's some of the, the feedback you've had from from maybe patients, for we'll cover them first of all, and then from the general public about um, this sort of arts and mental health work? Well, there's, I remember the first time we did an exhibition in Paisley Gilmer Street, and there was a, a girl in the hospital in the acute wards. So I was I was working as a staff member off. There was a girl in the acute ward was doing the art group, and her work was framed, as was a number of other people's. And we had a launch at the the train station. I think her mother came with her, and I remember her saying, and she had a significant mental health condition. It wasn't anxiety and depression. Uh, it was a significantly serious condition. And she said, this is the best day of my life. And I just love that, that it was so significant to her. And actually that girl then became a peer worker with me. It got her trained as a peer worker years, several years later. And she got trained as a peer worker and she became the peer worker for arts and culture for Paisley. So we funded from Paisley 2021 and worked for me for a year. Stacey, uh, which was huge that she was able to do that. And she still works within mental health now. Um, so patients, I think, love to see their work. There's another lady, another young woman who did the recovery quotes. And then we launched that at one of the launches of the Mental Health Festival. And she was able to speak about it. So giving people an opportunity to have their voice heard is hugely important to me. Um, more recently within the North Ayrshire Recovery College we did the Drift On By exhibition during Covid which our patients, not patients, students I should say did before we did a creative recovery course which we instigated within Recovery College and put positive recovery focused messages onto Driftwood of course it was all shelved because it should have been there for the launch of the Ayrshire Mental Health Festival and then I just thought let's do it anyway and me and my student hung it we made a film of it. It's actually on the mental health festivals pages, and there's an exhibition at the moment. But the feedback from the patient, the students, because I'm talking about date bar, the feedback from students has been fabulous. That they were delighted to see their art exhibited publicly. So definitely, where people want to have, and the thrill of the people in Buddy Beat of being on a stage and performing. I think we've done three performances at the SECC and how excited they were about that. And you know, there was one lady who had only been in the group two weeks, and then two weeks later she comes with us to the SECC and she's on the stage with hundreds of people from the NHS performing. And the thrill of that is just amazing. It's such a confidence booster for people and the self-esteem that people have, that it's not they're not necessarily identified as a patient or somebody with mental health, that actually they're a drummer or an artist or or whatever, or a performer, if you like. How, how I'm interested in that shift between um, art being created and, and only really viewed in like a clinical setting, like a hospital, or maybe even within a community setting where it's a group of people who all have lived experience of mental health um, conditions and they're all together, to then being publicly consumed, like you're saying at the SECC, um, mm -hmm. What do you think helped create that shift? I definitely think the Mental Health Festival has helped that because it's given a platform. Mm -hmm. 
that I certainly wouldn't have had before. You know, we would do end of year shows, performances, or have musicians in in the recreation hall at Dyke Bar, but that's all behind closed doors. So definitely the the expansion of the Mental Health Arts Festival has provided a platform for people with a lived mental health experience to to share their their talents, their skills, their gifts, and to promote positive messages about well-being and mental health and so reduce stigma. I think when people understand that actually they can own their condition and be part of the, the um, not campaign, what's the word, the movement, the recovery movement to help other people understand that mental health is everybody's business, that we all have mental health, that I think when people understand that, people with a lived experience, it empowers them. What role do you think art plays then when it comes to tackling mental health stigma and discrimination? Well, we're all consumers of arts. Aren't we? You know, look at Netflix and Prime and film. Uh, it's a it's a powerful medium of communication, and especially if there's a story attached to it. And certainly, people's recovery stories can be very powerful. So I think it's arts as a way to communicate to the heart as well as the head. Whereas if you write an article for a journal, you know, people that read it or academics read it, then it might have an impact. But actually, if you experience it, if you're part of something. I remember I, was, I campaigned to my professional um, body, College of Occupational Therapy, we're having their annual conference in Glasgow. And I contacted them and said, you fancy having a buddy beat? Come. And I got, no, thank you. And then they were coming there the next year and I got it between my teeth and I thought, they just don't know what they're saying no to. So I managed to get a short video of the Buddy Beat film uh, that we'd made and sent it to our head of profession, Julia Scott. And then she saw it and I explained, you know, we could do this either at the beginning of your conference, three-day conference, or at the end as in a plenary session, we could have the whole audience participating. In the, in the music making, and she said, okay, let's do it, and it was amazing. It was absolutely incredible, Buddy Beat were on it. I spoke about social inclusion and occupational therapy and the arts and mental health and well-being, and Dr Jane facilitated the audience to make music with a pen and paper and with two coins and with, and with keys, and Buddy Beat played, and it was phenomenal. And they got a standing ovation. That was absolutely fabulous because, and it's memorable, People will still say to me today, oh, were you, were you the one that spoke about Buddy Beat? It was a fantastic event. So I think once people experience the, the arts, then it kind of moves from head to heart. Mm-hmm. You're speaking a lot about a social inclusion model. Would you mind telling me a little bit about that? So social inclusion is, the easiest way to think about it is the, the traffic light model. So red would be mental health service users within a mental health setting. So within a psychiatric hospital, within a psychiatric clinic, within an outpatient clinic, within a mental health resource centre, anything that's run for mental health, even if it's a charity, you know, even if it was Ram H that I work for and it's their day service, that's still red because it's mental health service users within a mental health setting. And then amber is 
mental health service users or people with a lived experience of mental health within an ordinary setting. So anybody walking in the door to Paisley Arts Centre wouldn't know that you're going to a mental health drumming group, for example. So that's amber. And then green is shoulder to shoulder with the general public. So going out to Smash Shot Day, which hasn't happened other than online this year, and drumming in the parade is green. It's shoulder to shoulder with the general public. So it's um, not necessarily that people would know that it's mental health. All they see is a group of musicians. So it's that sense of um, coming alongside or just being ordinary, just um, being alongside the general public rather than potentially being stigmatised. And now that's not saying that people wouldn't say we're a drumming group for wellbeing. But, um, that, so that's the social inclusion model, moving from red through amber into green. And I think it's a really simple model but a really powerful model that empowers uh, people to be more self-resilient and more able to manage themselves and then now very much into self-management how do you equip people with lived experience to manage their own conditions um at, like, for example i've just run and developed in a co-production model or we call it co-creation with five ladies with a lived experience of mental health. And because I'd done this creative recovery course, or yeah, it wasn't even a course group within Dyke Bar, I thought, let's explore this concept. And the um, Urban Arts Centre, Harbour Arts Centre, where I got in really well with the, the manager there, and she gave me a room for nothing. So we're in a north. So already we've started in Amber. We've not started in Red. We started in Amber and we did creative recovery. So we used, one week, for example, we used clay. So each week we do a different um, medium. One week we used clay and it was about creating your inner warrior. So first of all, we got people to create their gremlin out of clay. So that gremlin that's your inner critic that sits on your shoulder and says, you're not good enough, you can't cope, you're useless. And then they squash their gremlin. And out of that made the warrior. So what are the positive things that a warrior says to you? I am enough. I am good enough. I am strong. I am brave. Whatever that warrior says. And then they were air-driving people, took them away. And that was very important to people. Another session that we did within that was called um, Recycle or Recreate. And we had people on a big piece of paper write down the crap in their lives that they want to kind of leave behind rip that up and then I had an artist come, a guest artist, and she brought a huge amount of recycling material and people had to make a piece using a box as a, a basis about recreating. So the metaphor was that we can, out of the pain, we can recreate ourselves, we can recycle the pain and move forward. So each week was a different um, a different theme and the last week we did was the, the driftwood taking the, the message out to the general public so already I'm already thinking we're doing eight weeks but towards the end we're going to do something that becomes more socially engaged so that people can look out beyond themselves and that course is evaluated really really well we're going it was a pilot and we're going to redo it in fact we should probably write it up but people thoroughly enjoyed it even people that weren't arty and we should have been doing linking to the, the year of um, coasts and waters where we're going to do I'm a felter or a fibre artist we're going to use felt and do the year of coasts and waters um, using the water metaphor for recovery 
and make a, a an installation in Harbour Arts that we had a, a space that we were going to do, but that will need to wait till next year. So it was going to be a public exhibition, but we didn't get there because of COVID. What happens to the the artwork that that people create, or even the patients? Look back to Dyke Bar. What would happen to the artwork that they made? Well, in Dyke Bar, in the early days, the artwork would be... We would encourage people to take them if they wanted to. They could take their pieces with them. Or sometimes when people were getting discharged, they would come and collect their work because we usually tried to put it into folders for people. And sometimes we would frame and exhibit it in the corridors outside the therapy human therapy room in the um, in the acute unit or in the other I've got an interesting story for you um, I'll come back to but sometimes it would pile up and it would pile up and it would be thrown away eventually it would be thrown away um, I don't think that happens to the same extent now we would encourage people to take their work with them because it's kind of a history of where they were at that time but um Certainly in my younger days as an occupational therapist, the artwork that wasn't taken away was binned quite quickly. Um, but now we would encourage people not to do that. Mm-hmm. We would, but or, or we might put them, if it was therapeutic artwork, we might put them alongside the case notes. Mm-hmm. What caused that shift in attitude, do you think? Um... I think, and I don't know whether it's my understanding, and then I would encourage my team to understand that, that that's been part of somebody's process or part of somebody's therapy, or, um, and that actually it's not disposable. Um, I'm not sure what the should. I think just a, a, a broader understanding that it's not just art for art's sake, that it's a... It's a mark of somebody's journey, a mark of somebody's um, illness or their recovery. But it's been part of that that process. I'm not saying that work isn't binned now, but hopefully it's not binned in the same way that it used to be. We would encourage people to take their work with them. Mm-hmm. Oh, the story I was going to tell you, we worked with an artist in Dyke Bar from Cardonald College, Lucy. Lucy Rooney, and we had this idea. We had two, how long ago would this be? Probably 12, 14 years ago. That um, there was opposite the, the shop in the corridor, and there was a tea machine that patients could go. These are in the long term wards, and it was like two little cafe spaces, but miserable places. They looked out onto a garden a courtyard garden, which was opposite our department. And we did quite a bit in the department. We'd made a lovely sea garden with a, a submerged rowing boat with the patients. We we did artwork and mosaic work in the garden, so trying to beautify the place and make a permanent place for that. And I got the idea, let's do a mural in one of these VT rooms. Actually, we did two, so Lucy Rooney with the patients designed outside so it was all glass looking out to the garden so outside the seat where the boat was she did an underwater scene so we got permission the painters gave us paints 
and she drew it with the patient's help and then they coloured it in basically. But they were really proud of it and then there was another scene that was more of a, a woodland scene in the other one next door. And two years later, the painters came and painted over them. No discussion, no reference to who did that or what's that about. No, it was time to paint it and it was painted over. And I was furious, but it was done and dusted and um, disrespectful. And the other thing that happened, probably again, about 2006, there was a big mural in the corridor that was that traced the history of the cotton coming from India, coming through to Paisley, to be weaved into the Paisley pattern. So it was a long mural that was part of the history of the hospital. And there was an artist appointed to do some stuff, and he painted over that. And that was an artist. I could not believe it. It was part of the heritage of the hospital. And he blocked out the one of the windows that looked out onto a garden to give us some shadow. Anyway, that was... Um, not my best experience of art, because I just would never have done that, just to make a corridor duller. Anyway, that was not... Um, hopefully that wouldn't happen nowadays without reference to... And the other interesting thing at Dyke Bar is there's a lot of artwork in there that's probably holed up and on walls in empty buildings that's been done that sometimes makes me curious about would anybody ever go in and reclaim that or explore what that is because different artists were commissioned over the years to do different things but um, now the wards are closed and the artwork's still on the wall as far as I'm aware. Where do you think that the the decision came from to paint over the walls? Was that ever communicated with you? No, because I would have jumped up and down. Um, I, I think it was probably just that the painters were doing their routine painting. I don't know, was it a hospital manager didn't like it? I thought it was childish, but no respect for it. I mean, it wasn't. I mean, it was lovely. It was cheery. It wasn't the best art in the world, but it was cheery. And the patients had a sense of they made that or they showed their relatives this is the bit that they did. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a much happier than a bleak place. I don't know. I never found out who made the decision to do that or whether the painters were just told, right, paint these corridors and paint over those murals. No idea who it was. I never found out. What are some of your your favourite memories then from your work? Um, probably one of my favourite memories was we hosted the mental health... You know, the Creative Forum, we called it, who was my committee that led the Mental Health Festival. We hosted the launch of the Mental Health Arts Festival in Paisley Town Hall. And it was um, all singing, all dancing with exhibitions and lots of participation. Uh, Buddy Beat did a song and a drum, the drama group um, did a performance and... We had cupcakes with paisley patterns on them. It was just um, a lovely showcase of what we'd achieved and lots of joint working with different organisations having a stand at it. So I'm a bit of an event girl. So that was um, a nice challenge and lovely to showcase what we had been doing in Paisley. And this was all pre-Paisley 2021, which then gave us 
or gave me and the Mental Health Arts Festival because we then got much more recognition for what we'd achieved through the Mental Health Arts Festival. And I then represented health on the Paisley 20, one of the Paisley 2021 committees. And of course, Paisley's now got um, a real cultural heritage. And Sarah Grant, who's the artist that worked for me, is now funded one day a week for mental to coordinate the Mental Health Arts Festival annually. So we certainly got recognition that we'd achieved a lot before it was on trend to do festivals, if you like, with, um, with mental health and the arts. But certainly within Renfrewshire, there was significant recognition that we'd made a contribution to the community and uh, there was respect for it. Okay. Any hi another highlight, one of the highlights, the first time we did the performance in the SECC, we'd been paid for some gig with the Buddy Beat and by as a surprise, I'd booked speedboat rides up the Clyde. So we did our gig and then we went to the speedboats and put on our, um, what do you call them when you put them on the floats and had a speedboat ride up the Clyde. And that was just absolutely thrilling and they were so excited and it was just like a, a thank you, a reward for, so that was a huge highlight. That was great fun that day. Um, other highlights? They're probably all mental health festival related because it's about people showcasing um, what they were doing. I, I love it when a project comes together. And of course, we then progressed to doing projects within the hospital, within the community for months before that led up to the Mental Health Arts Festival. So it became much more of a focus of helping people or supporting, facilitating people to think out the box to use the themes of the mental health festival and then dream up the project and do something that then culminated in the three weeks of the festival and what about you how has your involvement in this um work you've been doing impacted your mental health well i've always been a maker since a little girl i've always made things and if i'm not making then my mental health is not so good. Once I've got an like I'm sitting here at the moment, surrounded by driftwood, and I've got a new pyrography machine. And since the driftwood <laughs> exhibition, I've been um, I've just made a I've got a studio in my garden, and I've just called it Sanctuary Studio. And today I've hung it up, so I'm making signs on my week off. This is my week off. So I've always been a creator. Fibre is the thing I really like. Anything with texture, so. Fibre art is what I've stuck to, although I've done lots of creative things. I wouldn't call myself an artist. I'm more of a creative, but um, dabble in lots of different things. But fibre art is my, my thing, and I couldn't survive without colour, without creativity in my life. I'm a creative thinker. You know, I love developing projects and seeing them come to fruition and collaborating with people. Networking, collaborating definitely is... Um, something that gives me a bit of a buzz but yeah it, creativity is um, fundamental to who I am and just to sort of finish off I'd just like to ask you a few questions about um, more generally about mental health and the arts so how do you think that the arts has contributed to how we view mental health just in a general sense as a as a society I think it's become much more um, mainstream sharing a mental health and well-being message within the arts. So 
You see footballers making films about their mental health. You see filmmakers making films about their mental health. Um, you hear celebrities talking about mental health and well-being as well as royalty. You know, the film that the Prince William did that was on a few weeks ago about football and, and well-being, you know, the film there took a strong message out to to people. Re repeat the question to me. I said, um, how has the arts contributed to the way that we view mental health more generally? Yeah, I think people are, it's, I think it's reduced stigma. And I think it's increased to the arts, has increased understanding that mental health is important and it's not just people behind closed doors in psychiatric hospitals. Or it's not something that happens to odd people. You know, I think there's much less thinking that, oh, it's a psychotic person, a madman that's psychotic. I think there's much more understanding that mental health has affects everybody. We've all got mental health. I think, I think the arts has contributed hugely to that. And lastly, how would you like the relationship between mental health and the arts in Scotland to develop over the next five to ten years? I would like to see it develop. I think it's on the right track. I think there's still... Mm, well, social prescribing was kind of around for a bit. I'm not sure that it's really taken off as it might be. I would like to see more of that, that you know, that you don't need to go perhaps to an anxiety management group, although, but perhaps you should go to drumming group as well. I mean, the drumming group that we've set up in Ardrossan for, called Drum for Your Life has been a huge impact on people's well-being because it's that sense of belonging that people get. So I think more awareness within with mental health clinicians, psychiatrists, practitioners that um, the arts, and I think there is recognition, but perhaps the medical model is still prevalent in some areas. Certainly within Ayrshire, where I live now, well, I've always lived in Ayrshire, but now down in the West Coast, uh, Ayrshire hasn't had a mental health festival until last year. So there's not awareness of it within the mental health field as there would have been in Paisley because we would get so involved in it there. So I think expansion of understanding that the arts has got a significant contribution and increase and building on the research uh, that mental health is improved by the arts is um, would be good to kind of build on the, the evidence base. And do you have any final message or anything else you'd like to see that we haven't covered yet today? Um, I think the understanding that... I think in my early career, occupational therapists were just seen as people that distract... So do an activity to pass the time. Mm. You know, actually, I used to could you, used to get on at my staff about doing colouring in books because I thought it was too juvenile and look how on trend that is now. Yeah, I think 
understanding that certainly within my profession that the arts and creativity are hugely important as important as the scientific as the scientific input or the interventions but within within the general population that doing something creative is good for your well-being have a dabble great well thanks very much Jeanette